Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. Oh, I'm excited for another week and topic from you, Eleni. And this time, about amazing foods I'm going to go at the store and buy right after this. Yes. <laughs> like every week. Every week. Actually, yep. this is kind of funny, too, because... So normally you're like, we do these episodes and then you're the one who's like, oh, I need to go like edit my shopping list and go shopping yep. and get new food. Um, but as I was writing this episode, I yeah. was doing that. That yes! was me this time. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And even for breakfast, I knew this was going to be on this topic. So we'll tell you soon what it is. But I was like, okay, well, my breakfast before I go has to have this in it. But nope, I was running late. And I did a quick cachava and we're out the door. But I'll, I'll have this for lunch. Yeah, I literally yep. was like... Yeah, last night Christopher was like, are you ordering seeds online? What are you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was. I was ordering broccoli seeds. So. <gasps> oh, I have something to tell you. Okay, so Ke- my husband Kevin just ordered broccoli seeds and sprouted them in mason jars upside down with like the slip cover over it. This is literally and- my plan. Oh my word. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. Yeah. I now have a, a full bowl full of sprouted broccoli little seeds and we just eat little hairy broccoli seeds oh <laughs> not the seeds don't eat the seeds they have something bad in them but um you can eat the sprout eat the sprouts yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you're gonna feel really prepared then yes. for this episode because that's literally what we're talking about in this episode is broccoli sprouts so oh, that is a- we just did this last week that's oh, really funny kevin, good job round of good applause for kevin job. everybody at the end i will tell everyone the unprofessional way to do broccoli sprouts i <laughs> yes, will explain the process explain that yes yep. because we have have a sprouting jar so yes. we are I knew we already had one and we've used it before and then I just haven't done sprouts that way in a long time and yes. I was like okay we have the sprouting jar and we have the like mesh lid for it that's, that's exactly what it is yep. the mesh lid for the straining and then okay. you can just buy bulk seeds online and yes. so anyway if you guys haven't guessed what this episode is about so yeah. far <laughs> it's really funny it. yeah um so I feel like we've had a lot of episodes kind of like we've discussed before on what not to eat so Mm -hmm. we've talked about Mm -hmm. sugar processed foods and carbs seed oils and toxic fats artificial food coloring and the preservatives preservatives and gluten was the most recent episode on what not to eat um and so now i'd like to begin our ascent into what to eat yes the positive and i know we had Exactly. I know yep. we had our episode on the top five most nutrient dense foods. Yep. Um, which is definitely an important episode to listen to. If you haven't listened to that, go check that episode out. And that was kind of the inaugural episode into beginning the discussion of okay, so now you know what you shouldn't be eating, what should you be eating. Um, so start with that episode. That's a great episode. And in that episode, we focused on nutrient-dense foods as as basically defined by their concentration and bioavailability of the nutrients most commonly deficient in the human population. So mm-hmm. that nutrient-dense food list, um, what we were focusing on was foods that are very dense in specific nutrients, including iron, zinc, folate, vitamin A, calcium, and vitamin B12. Those are the most common micronutrient deficiencies 
worldwide. Mm -hmm. And so that episode focused on what are foods that contain all of those vitamins and nutrients in the highest concentrations in the most bioavailable states. Mm -hmm. Um, And those top five foods, if you remember, included liver and organ meats, small fatty fish, dark leafy greens, shellfish, including bivalves, which are like oysters, clams, mussels, scallops, um, and then crustaceans, which are shrimp, prawns, crab, lobster. And then beef and goat were tied for the fifth place. Um, The weakness of that list is that, again, it's only focusing on those listed micronutrients. So, um, you know, for most people, it's a great starting point. And including those foods in their daily diet would be a massive improvement over probably what they're doing now if they're following a standard American diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And it would help correct the most common micronutrient deficiencies. So worldwide, that, that would be something really to to marvel at yeah so that's important so i'm not i'm not diminishing the importance of that episode but i would like to start adding on to that now because to me that is like basic foundation level nutrition yes like here are the things most people worldwide are deficient in and here are the foods that deliver those nutrients but now i'd like to start expanding and adding to that and and getting into ways to optimize your health um, as opposed to focusing more on ways to prevent disease. Mm, Got it. Thriving, not just surviving. Exactly. Right. Um, And so there are, of course, besides that list of foods that we covered in the top five most nutrient-dense foods, there are other foods we need to eat for other reasons. There's a lot of health benefits to eating foods besides whether they contain vitamin A or vitamin B12 or zinc or iron. Um, You know, there's there's important reasons to eat other nutrients. Um, And one of those things that isn't taken into account, some of the nutrition that we don't get to discuss in that top five foods episode um, is including things like phytonutrients or polyphenols, Mm -hmm. antioxidants and dietary or prebiotic fiber. So those are all really important for our health in other ways, but of course they're not they're not like a specific nutrient that's measured. So we don't have any set amount for here's how many polyphenols you should get in your diet each day, here's how many of the antioxidants, here's how many phytonutrients. We don't have any set expectations or standards for that. Yeah. And so it's really hard to come up with like here's the optimal amount. Mm, and yeah. here's what you should be getting every day. And that's yeah. why we don't always focus on it in nutrition, yeah. which is a shame because yeah. I think it's it's hard to measure and calculate and define. And so we don't spend as much time on it as honestly we should be because yeah. they're so essential, those polyphenols and antioxidants and phytonutrients. I feel like with more research, maybe that will come out. Like maybe in a decade that will be like standard. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's like right now you can't look at a a food label and see how many antioxidants it has in it, but you can see how much vitamin A it has in it or how much vitamin B12. Yeah. Um, You know, or if you're looking at a supplement and it's a food-based supplement, oftentimes they'll have listed like a plant-based blend and they'll say, oh, this many grams of plant-based stuff but they won't say how many antioxidants because that's like how do you measure that so i agree i think the technology maybe maybe will be there in the future and hopefully we will optimize 
what the amount is. But for now, we're kind of left with this nebulous concept, but it's a really important concept. And so that's really what we're getting into today. So um, adding on to our top five most nutrient-dense foods list, yes, those are all very important foods and you should be working them into your diet on a daily basis. To add to that, one of the most important foods you could be consuming is cruciferous vegetables. Mm, yes. And in this episode, I'm talking specifically about broccoli and broccoli sprouts, which mm. is, <laughs> as Kay has already alluded to. Yes, yes. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler. Um, Kevin, Kevin must have been hacking into my computer notes. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> His brain was in tune with what you were doing. Yeah. Good. Um. Which broccoli and broccoli sprouts do fall under that category of dark leafy greens. So we did cover them in that top five. But again, we only discussed those foods in terms of their content of iron, zinc, folate, vitamin A, calcium, and vitamin B12. And so today I want to talk about the amazing powers of something else that's found in cruciferous vegetables. And that thing is sulforaphane. Sulfane, sulfafafite. Is that okay? So say it again, Eleni. Sol. Sol. Fora. Fora. Fane. Sulforaphane. 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 And that's sulfur-containing compounds, the sulfur, sulfa. Okay, which our body loves. Yes, so sulforaphane. I'm going to say it a thousand times throughout this episode today. say it like a champ by the end. Everybody will be, there's a quiz at the end. Yes. (laughs) You have to say it right or you get an electric shock. Yeah. (laughs) Through your phone. Uh, Yeah, so I realize that like sulforaphane is not the sexiest topic. (laughs) Or to say. Yeah, right. Yet. It's not the sexiest topic yet. Yes. However, I feel like by the end of today, you guys are all going to be like, "Mm, give me some of that sulforaphane. So I can be sexy. Yeah. All right. Sexy sulforaphane. (laughs) We have a new (laughs) t-shirt. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I want to make one too that says eat your broccoli. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Just eat your damn broccoli. Just eat your broccoli. Eat your damn broccoli. Um, Yes. So it's going to be a sexy topic by the end of today because you're gonna yeah want it it's bound to help like your skin your yeah. give you bigger boobs i don't know <laughs> See, I don't you know, know i don't think they've discovered any food that can just give you bigger boobs or we would just all eat only that <laughs> <laughs> Yay. okay well all right broccoli doesn't give you big, bigger boobs but it's still no. it's still sexy but it does <laughs> decrease your chances of breast cancer so there you oh. go Oh, then it go. does still help when the it does help the, the boobs chest region. Yep, does still help the boobs. Um, so when it comes to a discussion on phytochemicals and antioxidants, no discussion is complete without a deep dive into sulforaphane. And I think you know antioxidants is a term people are really familiar with. I'm going to get deeper into the science and talk about phytochemicals and antioxidants and all of that. So don't get lost in the weeds of the terminology. And there will be some terms here that like aren't necessarily, yeah, yeah, they're not necessarily important, but I want you to understand the science behind them because I always think that's important is, is to understand the science. Yeah. So I'll get into, first of all, a little bit of organic chemistry. So what is sulforaphane? Sulforaphane. So sulforaphane is a small phytochemical molecule, specifically a type of phytochemical known as an isothiocyanate. Isothiocyanate. I won't get into all of that. (laughs) 
Um, it's derived from cruciferous plants. So primarily broccoli and more specifically broccoli sprouts, um, but also in smaller amounts from Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, and radishes, kind of in that order. Um, and phytochemicals are what plants produce in response to predation to protect themselves. So a phytochemical is what affects a plant's color, taste, smell, and antioxidant activity. Um, And the way that they affect a plant's taste and smell may deter certain pests. That's part of its protective mechanism. It also may deter certain humans. (laughs) As I'm sure people who are not fans of broccoli or cruciferous vegetables can attest. Um, Radishes taste bad yeah and, like, that's beets taste like basement floor sure and and some of that smell is again the sulfur containing compounds that those plants contain when you think about sulfur it's not necessarily a pleasant smell it's kind of that mm-hmm. egg smell if yep. it's really strong it can lean towards rotten egg yes so that is what some people are reacting to and it's really interesting that some people are drawn to the taste of cruciferous vegetables and some people are repelled by it mm. but that is the action of those phytochemicals and that is one of their protective mechanisms um and and so in terms of sulforaphane sulforaphane comes from compounds called glucosinolates specifically the glucosinolate that sulforaphane comes from is called glucoraphanin and i'm going to reference the glucoraphanin a lot throughout this episode so just lock that term in your brain but glucoraphanin is the precursor of sulforaphane So I may use them a little bit interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. Glucoraphanin is the precursor. Sulforaphane is what is produced from glucoraphanin. Okay. I'm I'm following you so far. I'm here for it. All good. So within the plant cell is an enzyme called myrosinase. That's the last term this I'm going like to throw at you. today. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I remember taking biology. I, I am assuming this is true, but my AP biology teacher in high school said you learn more new vocabulary words in a biology class than you do learning a new language. Okay. Okay. Which makes sense. Like, it's all <laughs> there's a lot that. of terms. It was like a new language. It is okay. like a new lang- yeah. language. Don't yeah. get lost in it, but um, the enzyme to remember is myrosinase. 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 So when a predator chews a plant, so the plants, the cruciferous vegetables, they okay. contain the glucoraphanin and they contain myro- myrosinase, myrosinase, glucoraphanin and myrosinase. Those components are separate. In a plant. Okay. When a predator chews a plant, oh. it breaks open the plant cells <sighs> and glucoraphanin comes into contact with myrosinase <gasps> and a reaction can happens. Yeah, yeah. There's a reaction with yeah. that. Enzymes yeah. spur on reactions that converts the glucoraphanin into sulforaphane. So the action of chewing broccoli... And cutting broccoli is an important piece of ensuring that that reaction occurs and that the glucoraphanin is converted into sulforaphane by myrosinase. That is so interesting. So that's part of the um, protective mechanism of the plant is that when a predator is chewing on it, it releases sulforaphane from that reaction and the sulforaphane kind of repels the insect or the animal that's chewing on it, whether it's something from taste or smell or toxicity um, that those things contribute to 
that's kind of that's all a part of the plant's protective measure. Mm. So um, interestingly, myrosinase is also released by certain types of bacteria living within the human gut microbiome. Oh. So we also produce our own myrosinase, which tells you that we are kind of evolved to convert this glucoraphanin into sulforaphane because we eat and have bacteria that do that reaction themselves. So even if the plant didn't carry out that reaction, our body is capable of carrying out that reaction to a lesser extent, um, which is... Another reason why gut health and microbiome Mm. diversity is so, so, so important. So if you haven't listened to our Gut Health 101 podcast episode, listen to that. But again, that's another reason why we need a varied microbiome because not all bacteria in our gut produce myrosinase, just a select few. And if you don't have them, then that reaction is limited within your own body and you're unable to convert that glucoraphanin into sulforaphane, and sulforaphane is the molecule your body needs and can utilize. The glucoraphanin, not so much. Mm-hmm. Sulforaphane is what you need. Woo-wee, this is a mouthful. You're doing great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Gosh. Yes, yes, I'm tracking. I cannot say those words, but I'm tracking what you're saying. Okay. okay. So all cruciferous vegetables contain this set of reactions, But broccoli and broccoli sprouts, um, and to a lesser extent, the other cruciferous vegetables I mentioned, are some of the few that convert specifically glucoraphanin to sulforaphane. So all cruciferous vegetables undergo various reactions that are similar to that conversion process, but not all of them are producing sulforaphane. Mm -hmm. Um, So sulforaphane itself is what I'm focusing on today. Sulforaphane is a health-promoting and health-expanding compound. So what I mean by that is it promotes our health, it increases our health span, which I'll talk about a little bit more, but we've talked a lot about stress in this podcast. You know, in in our current world, yes. which is stressful. stressful, lots of stress, we have physical, chemical, and emotional stresses every day. Mm-hmm. We're encountering those stresses, and those stresses result in oxidative stress and inflammation mm-hmm. in our body. Mm-hmm. It's not just the physical or chemical stresses. It's also the emotional stresses can result in oxidative stress and inflammation in the body because yeah. if you consider... Um, when you are upset that you start breathing a lot heavier, mm-hmm. you're increasing the oxygen mm-hmm. in your body. You're increasing responses, yep. oxidative stress. Mm-hmm. Oxygen creates oxidative stress. It's, it's a normal mm-hmm. process within our body, but too much of it yep. is not helpful. Um, and stress and chronic inflammation are at the root of every chronic disease and autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. So sulforaphane, upregulates antioxidant enzymes to reduce the effects of stress and inflammation. So when you consider that stress and inflammation are at the root of every chronic and autoimmune disease and sulforaphane upregulates the antioxidant enzymes that combat that reaction, that alone, like I think we could end the episode right there and you would know, oh yeah, so it's super important. (laughs) Yes, yes. Every chronic disease is rooted in some sort of stress. Sulforaphane helps your body regulate and fight those stresses. 
Um, but I'll get into it in more detail than that because, of course, I have to. Give it to me, yeah. I can't just leave it at that. <laughs> right. Um, so, so basically, sulforaphane has shown an influence in several cellular pathways within our body. It can modulate, reverse, and block different activities in our cellular metabolism. So, for instance... Sulforaphane has been reported to be an inducer of phase two detoxification enzymes. So our body goes through two phases of detoxification. It's really important that we go through both. So in phase one, we say we ingest a toxic compound. So let's just say Advil. Advil is something we know goes through our body. Ibuprofen goes through our liver for detoxification. In phase one, the toxic molecules are combined with other molecules and they're converted into a new molecule. That's phase one. But the new molecule that's produced in phase one can sometimes be more toxic than the original compound you ingested. Ah. But it's a short period of time that that molecule, that more toxic molecule is now present in your body because phase two detoxification takes place right away and immediately converts that more toxic molecule into completely harmless waste products, which then your body eliminates. But you can understand that if you have excellent phase one detoxification and crappy phase two detoxification, Mm. that's going to be a problem. That is a problem. Because you are producing a lot. You are breaking down some toxic compounds, but you may also be producing even more toxic byproducts that haven't been converted yet to their final products and those byproducts that are more toxic if your phase two detoxification is lagging can build up and create a lot of toxicity in your body so it's super important that both phases of detoxification are working well yes and you if you're gonna have sufficient good phase one detoxification you better have sufficient phase two detoxification or you may be creating a bigger problem yeah which is actually why i'm not a huge fan of people who are eating like a standard american diet and immersed in toxins just doing like a hardcore detox because oftentimes Mm. their phase two detoxification has really been impacted and they just throw everything into phase one detoxification and they can increase toxicity in their body which causes some of those really unpleasant detox symptoms, the withdrawal and the shaking and the headaches and the weakness. So if you have sufficient phase two detoxification, you shouldn't experience those symptoms quite to that extent. But when it's lagging, then you end up struggling with some of those phase one symptoms. Yeah. Um, So sulforaphane specifically induces phase two detoxification enzymes. Um, and improves the detoxification process overall. So this protects our liver health. It keeps us from developing things like fatty liver and liver disease. Um, And many clinical studies have shown that sulforaphane has cytoprotective properties. So cell is cyto, cell protecting properties that will likely protect against and may even definitively prevent cancer. So sulforaphane has tumor prevention properties. It blocks the cell cycle and it promotes apoptosis. So we've talked about this a little bit in other podcast episodes, but healthy cells, when they get sick, they need to die and be removed. Cancer cells, the problem with them is they get sick and they don't die. They continue living. Mm -hmm. They don't undergo that. Yeah, they don't undergo that process of apoptosis. And so they don't break down. 
and they build up and create tumors. So sulforaphane helps make sure that unhealthy cells are breaking down, dying through apoptosis and being removed from the body to prevent tumor growth. And it has antioxidant properties protecting cells from the oxidative damage that can create mutated DNA that can lead to cancer. Um, Although sulforaphane is not a direct antioxidant itself, it helps your body maintain healthy levels of free radical scavengers such as vitamins A, C, and E. So it promotes the activity of other antioxidants, although it's not necessarily a direct antioxidant itself, although we often refer to it as an antioxidant for the sake of ease. Okay, okay, fair. <laughs> um, and so has... Uh, protective effects against many other chronic diseases as well, and therapeutic effects in those diseases. So not just preventing those diseases, but potentially helping the outcomes and symptoms of those diseases if you already have them. So don't feel like, well, I already have heart disease, so it's too late for me. No, ingesting and getting enough sulforaphane in your diet can help with therapeutic effects in terms of those diseases and help you feel better. Wow. And I hope, and I'm guessing at the end you'll let us know about like quantity and how and what. And of mm-hmm. course, I'll tell you how to how to sprout your own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so sulforaphane is is cardio protective. It helps in a variety of cardiovascular conditions. It can improve our lipid parameters and lower triglycerides. It reduces vascular inflammation, so inflammation within the blood vessels, which can contribute to heart attack. Um, And because oxidative stress plays such a major role in the pathophysiology of cardiac disorders and sulforaphane boosts our body's antioxidant response, it really helps protect the heart against oxidative stress. Um, And uh, additionally, the isothiocyanates like sulforaphane can produce a cardioprotective protein known as thioredoxin. So terminology is not important, but you can just know sulforaphane directly produces a cardioprotective protein. So a protein that protects our hearts. So pretty cool stuff. Um, In terms of asthma, sulforaphane can also be therapeutic for asthma. It reduces pulmonary inflammation um, and it affects the pulmonary bronchoconstrictor responses in asthmatic patients. So if you oh. have asthma, you're probably familiar with bronchoconstrictors. So the bronchioles within the lungs get constricted and tight when you're having an asthmatic episode. And so sulforaphane um, can positively affect that response and improve that response. Um, In one study, high-resolution CT scans disclosed that in asthmatic patients, sulforaphane treatment resulted in a significant reduction in specific airway resistance and also increased small airway luminal area and airway trapping significantly. So those are all terms having to do with asthma, but basically in asthmatic people, sulforaphane helped them breathe better. That's the take-home message and reduced the severity of those asthmatic episodes. Um, Sulforaphane also has strong anti-inflammatory properties, like we mentioned. Um, It protects us from inflammatory diseases, such as inflammatory bowel disease, gout and arthritis, diabetes, where it also has blood sugar lowering properties, so it's a double protection for diabetes, and autoimmune disorders. So anything that's an inflammatory disorder, and that's certainly not an 
conclusive list right there. Sulforaphane can help with. Um, And it's also able to pass the blood-brain barrier and exert neuroprotective effects. Um, So as we've talked about before, our brain has a blood-brain barrier. It prevents certain toxins from getting in and influencing the brain. Sulforaphane is able to transcend that barrier. And there are a lot of molecules that can't, but sulforaphane can. And within the brain, it can help protect our brain health and reduce inflammation within the brain. Um, so these properties protect are, are protective in terms of neurodevelopmental and neurodegenerative diseases, including Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, schizophrenia, and autism. And for schizophrenia, a study found that sulforaphane reduced the, um, or sorry, not for schizophrenia specifically, but they found that sulforaphane reduced the cognitive impairment that's induced through repeated phenylcycladine administration, and that is PCP. So for people who were taking a lot of PCP, sulforaphane actually prevented the cognitive impairment that came with those exposures. Cool. Which I'm not suggesting you go buy a bunch of angel dust and then just eat broccoli sprouts, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly that's not it. But it could be helpful when people are in a... Um, therapeutic program to overcome drug addictions. Sulforaphane is one of the things that can help that healing process and help um, with the cognitive impairment that those drugs have caused. Wow. Um, And dietary intake of sulforaphane-rich broccoli sprouts prevents the onset of psychosis during juvenile and adolescent years and was found to have therapeutic effects on schizophrenia in teens and teenagers. So, Wow. Yep. And as far as autism, so I think it's always worth looking at autism spectrum disorders and anything we can do to help it. Because as I was doing this research, I was looking at the rates of autism. So in 2012, autism rates were calculated to be about one in 68. So one in 68 children was being diagnosed with autism. In 2016, so just four years later, the rates of autism were one in 59. In 2018, the autism rates were 1 in 40. So from 2012 to 2018, which was a six-year span, we went from rates of autism being 1 in 68 to 1 in 40. So clearly, this is a, a problem, right? Wow, this is this 40. is a legit pandemic. Wow. So several autism spectrum disorder-associated basic physiological pathways that sulforaphane can directly impact are the regulation of oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, immune dysregulation, neuroinflammation, which is very common, febrile illness, so fevers, and heat shock response, and synaptic dysfunction. So these are all issues in children with autism spectrum disorders, and sulforaphane can address those issues. Um, And over the past decade, sulforaphane has been clinically studied and found to have a significant positive effect on individuals with autism spectrum disorders, both in terms of their physical and mental health. And it is a safe and effective supplement in treating autism spectrum and its impact on cognitive and behavioral outcomes is pretty significant. So it's certainly worth considering in the realm of mental health. Wow. Um. Like we talked about, um, sulforaphane improves 
liver detoxification, which helps our body detox excess hormones and improves hormonal health, which is especially important in protecting against estrogen-sensitive cancers like breast cancer. Um, So I'll spare all of the nitty-gritty details, but when we produce estrogen, there are multiple forms of estrogen metabolites that we produce. And one of them is a good, quote-unquote good, you need them all, but one of them is quote-unquote good estrogen, which is thought to calm our body's effects, um, like the effect on our bodies of estrogen. And then there's bad estrogen, quote-unquote, that provides the opposite effect. So it stimulates estrogen-related cell growth, which can be problematic in estrogen-sensitive cancers. Um, So the Bad estrogen is also associated with genetic damage in cells, Um, and some studies have identified higher levels of this bad estrogen in breast cancer tissue and women who have breast cancer compared to healthy individuals. So sulforaphane has been identified as an effective chemopreventative agent, meaning it can protect against breast cancer. Um, It may prevent or treat breast cancer by reversing the estrogen-induced metabolic changes. So it helps um, balance that good estrogen to bad estrogen ratio, gives you a healthy balance. Again, you need both. You can't just fully eliminate one. They're, they're all metabolites of estrogen metabolism for a reason. So we can't just say, well, get rid of all the bad estrogen, yeah. right? You need it to some degree, but um, it needs to be in the right ratio to good estrogen. And sulforaphane can ensure that that ratio is healthy and balanced. Um, and this can improve the symptoms of premenstrual syndrome, so PMS, um, and hormone imbalance in women and can improve outcomes from endometriosis, reducing pain and endometrial lesion size. Hey there, Renegades, Eleni here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love, and that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective, and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amounts. Right now, if you go to bulletproof.com and use the code RENEGADE15, at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. That's Renegade, R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. So um, diets rich in, again, the glucose, Glucoraphanin. So remember, glucoraphanin is the precursor to sulforaphane. So diets rich in glucoraphanin have been shown to have a positive effect on metabolism and weight loss. And sulforaphane reduces the production of myostatin in our body, which myostatin is a protein that acts negatively on muscle cells to inhibit muscle cell growth. So sulforaphane inhibits myostatin which then allows for better muscle growth. Wow. Yeah. It's so like hacking the gym right now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so as we can see, regular consumption of sulforaphane can increase 
health span, right? Like, so when we talk about health span versus lifespan, I think a lot of people focus on increasing their lifespan. Like, oh, I want to live to 120. I want to live to 130, which is great if at 120, you're still a thriving individual. Correct. Right. But I don't want to live to 120 if I'm going to be like a vegetable, right? Right. Right. (laughs) And so when we talk about lifespan, lifespan is how long you live, but health span is how long you are healthy for. I love this new term. I'm going to get this locked in my brain. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Right. Because who wants lifespan without health span? Right. So sulforaphane is a very positive promoter of health span. So it's the span of life in which you have quality of life, which is important to me. So, um, you know, the majority of Americans, by the time they die, have four to five concurrent chronic diseases. Wow. So when you die at 80 and you have four or five chronic diseases all at once, do you feel like your health span was 80 or your lifespan was 80, right? Your health span only goes to the extent that that first chronic disease started impairing your quality of life. And then you add another one and another one and another one and you don't have quality of life anymore. So what kind of a life is that, right? So I say let's focus (laughs) on improving our health span. And sulforaphane is one of those things that really can impact and improve that health span, right? So living to 90 free of chronic disease is an excellent goal. Sounds great. Yes. Um, You've added another thing to my grocery list. Exactly. You've You've done it. Yep. And sulforaphane can help you do that. Um, so, you know, why, I, why did I pick sulforaphane? Like <laughs> of yeah. all things, right? There's a million things that are helpful and preventative. Why sulforaphane? And I think for one thing is it's extremely underrated. There's probably a lot of people who aren't even familiar with sulforaphane. Everybody knows the term antioxidants, I think, mm-hmm. but not very many people know specific antioxidants like sulforaphane. Yeah, right. right. Um, yes, yes. And it's so it's pretty underrated, and yet it has significant protective and therapeutic effects in chronic disease, as well as neurodegenerative and neurodevelopmental dis- diseases. So, you know, it's clearly important, but it's not really talked about. And that's what we do on this podcast is we talk about the things nobody is talking about We're in renegades. order to bring them. Exactly. Renegades. renegades. We're bringing them to your attention, right? What can yeah. you do? to prevent chronic disease. And if you already have a chronic disease, what can you do therapeutically besides medications to help treat that chronic disease and maybe even reverse it? Um, And for another thing, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight it is because consumption of cruciferous vegetables in the US is extremely low. Is this embarrassing? Yes, so when I talk about cruciferous vegetables, I mean, anything to do with the standard American diet is pretty embarrassing. But like, <laughs> when I talk about cruciferous vegetables, again, what we're talking about is broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, radishes, kohlrabi, um, kale. There's more, but that's those are kind of the main ones most people are familiar with, bok choy. Um, so although U.S. consumption of cruciferous vegetables, especially broccoli, has increased over the past several years. So it has increased. Good job, Good job. Good job. The contribution of cruciferous to the total recommended and 
dare I say it, extremely inadequate (laughs) five or more servings of fruits and vegetables per day. Remember, that's what's recommended. Five (laughs) servings of fruits and vegetables per day. Okay. That's inadequate on its own. Inadequate. On its own. The contribution of crucifers to that five servings Mm -hmm. of vegetables remains very low, being on the order of 0.2 to 0.5 servings per day, which like... We can do better. A serving is basically a half a cup. So 0.2... Two so like servings like it's a like, leaf of spinach yeah <laughs> <A> leaf. <laughs> yeah you're like taking a a, a, a bite. maybe a bite yeah, of broccoli yes. right yes. to yes. 0.5 which is a quarter cup of broccoli which if you've ever measured out a quarter cup of broccoli is nothing it's like oh, yeah. two florets yeah yeah right right so that's right. that's the average consumption of cruciferous vegetables is basically like that eighth to a quarter cup yes. yeah. um and a recent two day food take. Uh, behavioral study involving 4,806 adult Americans revealed that fewer than one in five consumed any kind of cruciferous vegetable and fewer than 3% ate broccoli over that reporting period. So in a two-day period, less than one in five people even touched a cruciferous vegetable and then fewer than th- than 3% of those people ate like broccoli. So yes, we're making veggies cool again. Be the change. Yeah. Eat more veggies. So I'm thinking based on that data of that study that the 0.2 to 0.5 servings per day that is average across the American population for cruciferous intake, it's probably not that every person is having 0.2 to 0.5. It's that some people are having like one to two servings per day. And a lot more people are having zero servings per day. Yes. Golly. Um, and so that's why I wanted to highlight sulforaphane because we are missing out on this critical nutrient from a critical food group that provides a lot of benefits just even outside of the sulforaphane. And we don't even know it because, you know, I'm sure everybody was told by a parent at some point to eat their broccoli, but nobody necessarily knew why. And if you're anything like me, I need to know why I'm doing something. And if I understand why I'm doing it, I'm on board. But if somebody just tells me to do something and they can't tell me why, like, forget it. Like, now I don't want to. No, sheep. Yeah, yeah. now I specifically won't eat it. I specifically won't eat it just because you couldn't give me a good reason. So here's your good reason. Yep. Um, And another benefit is that cruciferous vegetables like broccoli are extremely high in fiber. They can help our body with weight loss. They can reduce weight gain. They help our bodies use up fat for fuel. Um, They reduce fat accumulation and lower our LDL, our quote unquote bad cholesterol again. All cholesterol is necessary, but an imbalance of the LDL to HDL cholesterol can be inflammatory. So the um, cruciferous vegetables help maintain a healthy cholesterol balance and improve our triglycerides. Um, And there is no question in my mind that at least in the U.S. where a majority of us are overweight, weight loss could be a positive thing in terms of our health span. Mm -hmm. Yes. So my goal with this episode is to get more people excited about and eating cruciferous vegetables, which have a myriad of health benefits besides sulforaphane. I'm sold. That's my goal. I'm sold. I'm going to eat some for lunch. Yes. Yes. You have your broccoli, your hairy sprouts. I do have my hairy sprouts in the bowl. (laughs) Your bowl of hairy sprouts at home. (laughs) Kay's going to go home and just eat the whole bowl. I just just shove my mouth with it. (laughs) 
doing it for myself. <laughs> okay, so how can you best get sulforaphane? Um, well, like we've already alluded to, broccoli sprouts broccoli are sprouts. the number one source. And if you think about it, it makes sense because a broccoli sprout is a tiny broccoli. And so a sprout packs the nutritional punch of like a head of broccoli Oh, in, the one in little... a little wee tiny sprout. Wow. So when it comes to sulforaphane. It's so dense. Yeah. And specifically the glucoraphanin, um, the important thing about, about glucoraphanin in terms of broccoli sprouts versus broccoli heads, like mature broccoli, is that um, in broccoli, glucoraphanin concentrations decrease to their lowest levels at the early flowering head stage, uh-huh. which is the time of commercial harvest. Mm-hmm. And then it further decreases significantly over the following three days as that head of broccoli mm-hmm. travels to the market. Mm-hmm. And so the glucoraphanin is already at its lowest point in terms of the broccoli's life cycle when that head of broccoli is being harvested. And then it continues to break down as it gets carried to market and probably abused in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the seeds and seedlings contain significantly higher levels. Um, but again, you don't want to eat broccoli seeds per se because there are toxic compounds in broccoli and it's most concentrated in the seeds. Um, but the broccoli sprouts are perfectly safe and they have yeah. more health benefits than the commonly consumed florets of broccoli Um, plus sprouting is extremely easy to do it's more affordable i just last night (laughs) bought a pound of seeds which cost me just under twenty dollars and was roughly one hundred thirty thousand seeds they're tiny they're they're tiny. tiny yeah um and then my husband was like why are you buying them from amazon i bought them from amazon yeah. But we buy seeds from a variety of companies, you know, Baker Creek, Heirloom, and Seed Savers Exchange, and Johnny Select Seeds. So if you want to buy seeds, um, maybe check out Johnny Select Seeds first and buy them in yeah. bulk there. They were roughly the same price, but I like to support those small businesses yeah. if I can. Yes, yep. Yeah. Um, when we're thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they have very concentrated nutrition, and they're easy to eat raw. Like, definitely don't cook broccoli sprouts. That would be gross. You eat them raw, right? Are you right, co- you're not cooking your sprouts. Yeah. I never even thought about cooking them, but you're right. That would be, be kind of nasty. Yeah, yeah, they would just be hanging out there like little worms. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it'd be all like mushy. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so it's a great way to get the beneficial effects of eating raw broccoli versus cooked broccoli, which yep. if you're like me, once broccoli is in its mature florette stage, I don't like raw broccoli. It's like eating crunchy farty trees. Like yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you I just think about this. My friend and I were setting up for our friend's wedding and they had veggie trays and one of them was like a broccoli and cauliflower tray yeah so her wedding ceremony was at one place and then her reception was at a different venue and so my friend and I who were helping at her wedding ran over to the venue and just before everyone got there we opened the tray of of like veggies yes and it just smelled like farts like a bunch of farts like a bunch of farts (laughs) so everybody's like walking in it was like moments before people were like walking in the door because we wanted everything to stay fresh and so we just timed it perfectly and then everybody just walked into like a cloud of farts (laughs) you're like air that out welcome to this (laughs) 
That's funny. It's so true. So if you're like me, you don't like eating broccoli yeah. raw because it's kind of like de- deterring. I mean, yeah. it probably should be. <laughs> um, and so broccoli sprouts are a really great way to get the benefits of raw broccoli without having to just chew on like a gross farty stick. <laughs> <laughs> if you like raw broccoli, I'm not trying to deter you. Please keep eating it. Sorry. That is funny. That is funny that I was thinking that, that you're saying like, hey, you don't have to eat raw broccoli. Hey. Yeah. It's a benefit. You don't have to force yourself. Because studies have shown that the cooking process degrades glucoraphanin in broccoli. And so honestly, eating it raw is the best way to get the optimal amounts of glucoraphanin. And so when you consider that the glucoraphanin is low in a mature head, it gets lower as it moves to the market and it waits for you to buy it and then you cook it, you're pretty much decreasing those levels of glucoraphanin quite substantially. That's not to deter you from eating broccoli and steaming it. It's just, it's the reality in terms of sulforaphane. And so um, eating those veggies raw gives you the most concentrated glucoraphanin, but they're, you know, I don't necessarily recommend eating just loads of raw vegetables to everybody. First of all, for people who have thyroid conditions, there's another component in cruciferous vegetables when they're raw that can interfere with thyroid hormone health. Um, and so I don't recommend a lot of raw vegetables to people who have thyroid issues. Um, and I don't recommend them to people who have digestive issues because raw vegetables can kind of slow down and challenge digestion. And yeah. so I usually recommend more cooked vegetables for people who have slower or kind of stagnant digestion. Yeah, it's yummier cooked. Yeah, 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 and it reduces again some of those um, thyrotoxic compounds that may affect people with thyroid diseases. So, um, again, broccoli sprouts are a great way to get that nutrition without just chewing through a head of broccoli, and you get the most concentrated glucoraphanin and sulforaphane possible. Um, but if you do want to eat raw broccoli and raw cruciferous vegetables, I always like broccoli salad or coleslaw or things like that where it kind of like sits for a while um and the best way to cook it if you're going to cook it is to lightly steam it that's true for any vegetable that retains the nutrient profile the best of any cooking methods is just lightly steaming it um i mean bring it to the consistency that you like but once you've like mushified (laughs) the vegetables you've kind of destroyed a lot of the enzymatic and healthful properties of them um, so just don't overcook them. Gosh, veggies are finicky. Yeah. It's got to be just right. <laughs> yes. And you can also increase the sulforaphane content of broccoli by chopping it up and then letting it sit in the fridge for about 40 minutes. Because as we talked about, that oh, cell chop- wall yeah. damage is what induces the myrosinase and the uh, glucoraphanin to come together. So if you chop the broccoli and let it sit for 40 minutes, that's when it reaches its like maximum sulforaphane Wow. Content, because now sulforaphane is being produced. Crazy that those little things matter in nutrition. Like, I would just figure, eat broccoli, but it's like, no, how it's cooked, when it's cooked, if it's chopped, if it's not chopped, if it's hot or cold, all affects the nutrition. Like, 
That's wild to me. Right. Learning so much. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, don't get lost in the weeds of it, right? If you don't eat any cruciferous vegetables, why don't you start with just eating cruciferous vegetables? Any way you could get it down your throat. Anyway. Exactly. So don't get, like, don't go from zero to 60. Don't get lost in the weeds of, like, oh my God, well, now I have to buy, like, one day old broccoli heads and I have to lightly steam them and I should get a sous vide machine or whatever. Like, don't get lost in that. Right. Buy broccoli at the store, chop it up, and eat. It, get like, started just, just steam it. it pan fry it I don't care just get started with it right yeah, like that yeah, the healthy fun. habits build on each other so yes. don't get discouraged by this I'm just sharing what's optimal but yeah what's going to be optimal for you yeah. is taking Being something in you yeah. exactly it's going to be whatever is the next step for you so if you yeah. already eat and love broccoli maybe try broccoli sprouts yeah you know if you have been eating broccoli and it's okay, but you like overcook it to death, maybe start by cooking it less. Yeah, back it off a little. (laughs) So just take whatever next step is appropriate for you. It's going to be an improvement over what you're already doing. And again, build the foundations and then build the building on top of it. Don't start with the like a hundredth floor trying to build that, right? So um, I think an important thing to keep in mind is that if you have taken a strong antibiotic, it will have wiped out the gut bacteria that help your body produce myrosinase, um, which is what converts the glucoraphanin into sulforaphane. And so you'll need to rebuild your gut health first in order to achieve the best results because it's all part of the process. The plant produces some of the sulforaphane, but the rest of that conversion happens in your body. So if you don't have adequate gut bacteria, that conversion process is not happening in your body. So Mm -hmm. start by taking a strong probiotic to help regenerate that. Start eating probiotic-rich foods, of which um, broccoli is an excellent prebiotic. All of those cruciferous vegetables are excellent prebiotic foods. They help host uh, feed a host of bacteria in your intestines so start again by just building the foundations yes um you can also take supplements um but i i would recommend taking supplements in addition to eating cruciferous vegetables Mm. not instead of it yes yes so if you really like can't bring yourself to eat cruciferous vegetables then probably you're not cooking them or preparing them right yep but you know if if you if all you can bring yourself to do is to take a supplement, fine. But I don't recommend right. that as your only step. I recommend that yeah. you work your way up to eating the cruciferous vegetables because there's so many components and phytochemicals present in cruciferous vegetables um, that have health-promoting effects. And a sulforaphane supplement is going to focus on only one of the thousands, right? Mm-hmm. And so eating the whole plant is always the the best yes. step, right? Yep. But um, and, and, you know, again, if you're replacing unhealthy foods on your plate with healthy foods, all the better. So continuing your standard American diet and just popping a few sulforaphane pills, like sure, it's better than not taking the sulforaphane supplements, Yeah, but it's not really getting to the root of the problem, right? Like your diet is, is going to continue assaulting your body until you address that. So it's kind of like just deliberately starting a thousand fires and then throwing water at a few of them. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the other problem is that with supplements, the myrosinase produced by our gut bacteria are pretty much solely responsible for the conversion of the glucoraphanin to sulforaphane because many supplements contain glucoraphanin, which is the precursor to sulforaphane. Okay. 
and they may not contain the myrosinase. And so if you take a supplement that has the glucoraphanin, it's dependent on your body's myrosinase to convert that glucoraphanin to the usable sulforaphane. Um, and the efficiency of this conversion process kind of varies a lot from person to person and super depends on the health of their gut flora. Um, one study found that the ability of the gut flora to convert glucoraphanin to sulforaphane varied from person to person from as low as 1% to as high as 40%. So that's okay. quite a range. And so yeah. there's unfortunately no way outside of research setting to like test yourself and see where you fall on that spectrum which is really critical to understand because, again, those supplements that contain glucoraphanin, if you're one of those people that has a 1% conversion rate, you're just not getting much out of it. So I do recommend doing the supplements in addition to mm. consuming cruciferous vegetables just to really boost that process. Yeah. But it's not really certain that taking supplements on their own will have as much of an effect. It could. You could be one of the 40% converters, mm. but you may not be. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but if you are going to take a supplement, some of the brands that I recommend that are known to be the best. Okay. Um, Thorn is one company, T-H-O-R-N-E. I like their supplements quite a bit. Um, they have a supplement called Crucera SGS. That's a good one. Okay. We'll link um, all these in the show notes. Yeah. And then another company called Brock, B-R-O-Q. Cute. Sounds like broccoli. Uh -huh. That was cute. Brock. They, they, they specialize specifically in those sulforaphane supplements. And cute. that one actually contains sulforaphane as opposed to like the glucoraphanin. And cute. it's in a stabilized form. So it's shelf stable. Okay. And then another company is Brock, B-R-O-C, Elite. Cute Brock names. Elite. Brock Elite. <laughs> Brock Elite. Brock Elite. Um, Brock Elite. That and that cute has, a good, has a really good supplement as well. Again, a shelf-stable, high sulforaphane concentrated. So I don't know of any other brands that I personally would recommend outside of those ones. They are all purchasable outside of a medical practitioner, so you can buy them online. Okay. But. I will look into those because... Even though I do eat some veggies, I could always use a little more. Yeah, I honestly think, I mean, so I aim for two to three cups of cruciferous vegetables per day. So okay. like last night with dinner, we had two cups each of cauliflower rice, which is a lot of cauliflower. That um, is a lot. Two cups. That's impressive. Good job. And that's my goal every day is to, is to reach that. And so that's four servings of just cruciferous vegetables alone. Um, and I do that for my hormone health because I've noticed it really helps me. It really helps balance my hormones. It helps with PMS. It helps with my menstrual cycles and the regularity. It helps reduce cramping and discomfort and all of that. Um, so I've, I've just seen firsthand how many benefits eating that amount of cruciferous vegetables can have. And I still will probably buy a supplement okay. and take a supplement in addition to buying 130,000 broccoli seeds last night, yes. which <laughs> I now will be sprouting. So Kay, tell us for our listeners, oh, yes. what, how did you sprout them? What was your method? Okay, ready? I'll go on the general and then you, you give me the scientific um, specifics when I miss something. First, you have to count every one of your seeds. <laughs> Just joking. So my husband, gosh, let me think of the first step. He So it's this like ball jar looking thing with like this, the lid on it is a screen. So you can put your seeds in it, whatever, a couple tablespoons, and then you get them wet. I wonder if you do it overnight wet. 
I can't remember. Okay, look at the specifics. But his process for about five days was then then you cover it with this darkening, you know, like thing, cloth that goes over it. And then every day he would take the water, clean the seeds, he'd swish them around, and then he'd turn it over. Um, and it has a little stand, and then the water falls out of it every day. And he'd clean them twice a day with water. He was like, oh, this is kind of labor-intensive. So he's thinking he'll do it in batches and then freeze mm. some, so he's not always doing that. But that way it won't get any, um, you know, rot in any way. But so then, and after like five, so then they just start almost like they're in the darkness, right, because of that cloth. So then it's like they're underground. And then they just sprout, and then these little little sprouty babies come out and then they come to me half an inch inch I don't know long and then and then you can just eat them and then the the seeds themselves right you're not supposed to eat so those kind of um fall away and then they're edible once they're opened and then the the seeds the little Hmm. sprouts take over so and then we just have them in a bowl in our fridge with a cover and then we just go grab a handful and throw it on top of whatever we're eating yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think the optimal amount of of sprouts to eat per day is like two to four ounces. Okay. So like one of those clam shells of sprouts is roughly about four ounces. So okay. it's quite a lot of sprouts per day to get the optimal amounts of sulforaphane. Okay. Um, the only thing I would add is I think in the sprouting process, the, what I've read is yeah. best is to wash them three times a three day. Three times. Okay. Okay. So wash them and drain them three times a day. Okay. That's with the mesh lid. So you can pour water in and then you can just dump the water out yep. and that kind of washes them. Um, yep. Otherwise, I, I've, my plan was just to buy the seeds and then look up how to sprout them online. Yes. And there's yes. resources you could look up online. Yep. You know, just yep. if you just Google how to sprout broccoli seeds, there's going to be all kinds of yes. tips and tricks and different yes. tools. And a ball jar is one of them, but there's other methods too. Um, you can get them in like a sprouting bag that keeps them dark, like Kay was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think we'll just put ours in like a dark space, like maybe in our cupboard or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the sprouting yeah. process is kind of intensive. Yeah. Um, so we work from home. Like I work from home. My husband works from home. And so we have the capacity to do that. But yeah. I know for people who have like a nine to five job, that can prove challenging because right. you'd basically have to bring your sprout jar to work with, with you. With you. <laughs> it's your little baby. Case of what you got there? I just love baby sprouts. I'm just picturing somebody like those little dog carriers. That yes. people have. There's just a jar of sprouts <laughs> in it. Sprouts. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is my therapeutic sprout animal. Yes. Like a chia pet. Chia pet. Like a little sprout. Yes. Um, yeah. So it can be time in- intensive. And so I understand that sprouting isn't for everybody. Right. And right. of course, buying sprouts can be seasonal and can it can be expensive so again that's where you are eating the cruciferous vegetables and you're taking the supplements and you're just doing the best you can with what you have and it's all good and it's all good but yes the broccoli sprouts are the best way to do it and if you're into sprouting i think it's a fun way to have fresh food that you've grown yourself easily like all through the winter where otherwise you you know don't have access to that fresh grown food whatever if you live in a state like we do everything you're getting is like basically imported in um so anyway i think it's a fun way to grow your own food if you want to experiment it it's also kind of like a fun project for children because they grow really fast it's within five days or so i don't know how freezing would affect them do you think it would make them super mushy 
Okay, well, so I've I've freezed them in the past, and what I do is I just throw it in a smoothie then, mm. so I don't taste the difference. Yeah, got it. Yep. Yeah, yep. I don't, and I don't know how that affects the sulforaphane content. Oh, yeah, and how it can mush together. Yeah, I like didn't look that up, but yep. yes, then throwing them into smoothies. So that is a way if you don't like the taste of the sprouts. I mean, I would think. Mixing them like in a smoothie is a good way to get yeah. them. Putting them on salads is a good way to get them. Yeah. Um, on sandwiches. And on sandwiches. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, on top of things. Just in your mouth. You just shove it in. Yeah. I'm picturing like a nice like uh, like salmon salad or something and Ooh, all those sprouts like on so top. Beautiful. Yeah, and good. on that line too to add more of the vegetables and do a smoothie I do the rice cauliflower you taught me that mm-hmm. so frozen rice cauliflower and then it kind of adds some substance to a smoothie that's another cheat too I'll just yeah you, and so. you could do the same thing with broccoli you could freeze it and add it to a smoothie just yeah yeah, yeah. and Sneak anytime you kind of freeze it it kind of like degrades some of that flavor which is what makes me wonder about the sulforaphane yeah. content since yeah. that's what makes it taste strong but yeah anyway again anyway you can get, get it. it in any way you can yep, yep. So, all right. All right. Well, thank you. I, gosh, I literally am so convicted now to go eat all the sprouts. Like, let's do it. Yeah, Kevin's going to go home to like an empty bowl. He's going to be like, (laughs) I'm just going to be farting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's our episode on sexy sulforaphane. Sulforaphane. Sexy sulforaphane. No, Kay has to say it right before we sign off. Can I read it? Sulforaphane. There it is. Sulforaphane. Yeah, you just have to say it in a sexy voice oh so, yes <laughs> like, sulforaphane so, so all right we're gonna all sign right, off now go be renegades, go be renegades. <laughs> thank you for listening to the renegade nutrition podcast please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information the content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct personal professional medical care and diagnosis you should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! Go be renegades!